Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God, for it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. with another episode of the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. My name is Tyler, and I am excited to be with you this Sunday afternoon as we continue our study in the book of Romans. We'll be covering just a couple of verses today. We'll only be covering a couple of verses today because Romans 10, there's, there are a lot of good nuggets that have these big um, concepts in them. And I don't want to rush through those. I don't want to bypass some of these nuggets and so we will be going through verses 5 through 9 and so without further ado let's read Romans 10 verses 5 through 9 and it says for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law that the person who does the commandment shall live by them but the righteousness based on faith says do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven that is, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So Paul has said in brief verbiage in verses 1-4, through four, um, much regarding the nature of saving righteousness, of the righteousness to which we are saved through faith. And so now Paul is fleshing this out in greater detail, and he'll continue through the rest of Romans chapter 10. But this is the first part. And he's drawing on Deuteronomy, he's drawing on Isaiah, he's drawing on Leviticus, he's drawing on these, these rich Old Testament texts that the Jews would have known very well. A typical Jew... By the time they are an adult, they would have much of the Old Testament committed to memory. That around the age of 12, they would have the first five books memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They've got that memorized. So by the time you were a, an adult in that Jewish cultural context, you could feasibly have the whole Old Testament committed to memory. And so he's drawing on these texts that they would have known very well. Deuteronomy, Isaiah, the prophets, this kind of stuff. <clears throat> and this is where he's making his case. Further making his case. We've been talking about election, about God choosing people out of the world to be his people. And now he's showing how this plays out in salvation. And he ties it back to the Old Testament, though, that this is not a new idea. The Jews were aware that God elected Israel from the nations of the earth. 
but he's been establishing that Israel was never a country in the typical sense. It was not ethnic Israel. It was a spiritual Israel, of which we all come into through Christ. And he continues to make this point and what this means in terms of salvation, that all will be saved if they come to Christ. And he starts by making his case again in Leviticus. And so he starts with a passage from Leviticus. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. And that comes from Leviticus 18, where it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. And at face value, that sounds like a good statement. This is a verse that would have likely been important to an ex-Pharisee. This is a passage that Paul cites in other books. And at first glance, this seems like an encouragement. That if we keep the statutes of God, we will live by them. There's a problem, though. Because Paul's already established that the law is good, and we are not. Romans 3.10 says, None is righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Romans 7 goes on with the same theme. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the desire to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Deuteronomy 4 says, Now therefore hearken, O Israel, unto the statutes and unto the judgments, which I teach you, for to do them that ye may live, and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers giveth you. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught or anything from it, that ye may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the men that followed Baal Peor, the Lord thy God hath destroyed them from among you. But ye that did cleave, that cling unto the Lord your God, are alive every one of you, this day. So again, we have that, that pattern of um, we live by the commandments. But God judges those who do not submit to his law, as he did with the people of Baal Peor. And we would all fall into that same category. Isaiah 53, a very famous passage. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have left God's paths to follow our own. So there's a problem. If we're judged by the law and found wanting, then how can we live by the commandments? Romans 2 says, Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judge judgment will be revealed. And we are all storing up wrath for the day when it will be revealed to us, when the 
reality of God's justice for sin will be revealed before our very eyes. And we are just storing up wrath for that like a, like a bank account. We are not good people. The law is God's standard for what is good. As Greg Bonson says, it is a transcript of the moral character of God. If we are to be holy as he is holy, we can't do it. We are too sinful for that. There's a story in the book of Luke where a rich young ruler, the text says, asks Jesus, what good must I do to inherit eternal life? This guy came to Jesus under the assumption that he was able to receive eternal life off of his own works, off of his own merits. And Jesus responds by saying, keep the commandments, keep the law. But first he says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. If you want to be perfect, keep the commandments. The young man says, which ones? I've kept them all. But Jesus had just told him, only God is good. And essentially, he just raised his hand and said, me too. We are not good. The law is not attainable. When we read that we live by the commandments, we are reading of a life that is out of our reach. This promise from Leviticus and Deuteronomy just shows us just how far we are from attaining it. We need divine interference. As R.J. Rushdoony comments on the nature of law, while a man can be restrained by strict law and order, he cannot be changed by law. He cannot be saved by law. Man can only be saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. So he's using the illustration of speeding tickets. That they illustrate something in our nature. That we can adhere to earthly laws out of fear of consequence to try and live in a life without the consequences of that. But the laws that we follow don't necessarily indicate what's going on in here. Human laws can't change that. It is only the grace of God that can change us on the inside. Even if the Old Testament law became our constitution, that moral transcript of God's character, if that became our constitution, because it is holy, righteous, and good, it would not make our problems disappear until we deal with the sinful root of our problems. Consider the prophecies of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 2. It says, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall count come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways. And we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations. He shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more. 
God's law brings the nations to God in the sense that we are convicted of sin and desire to learn the true God who can redeem their sins. But law is not an end in itself. The law shows us how far we are from obtaining it, from being good. It shows us that we cannot be good. And there has to be redemption that does not come from ourselves. Isaiah 61 says, For I, the Lord, love judgment. I hate ro robbery for burnt offering. I will direct their work in truth, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And their seed shall be known among the Gentiles, and their offspring among the people. All that see them shall acknowledge them, that they are the seed which the Lord hath blessed. He's talking about the Gentiles here will receive the same covenant as the Jews. So the law was never just, it was never where it ended. That when we read in the Old Testament about Israel, Israel was never going to be the sole recipient of the, of the grace of God. From Isaiah 61, we go to Isaiah 65. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him when he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Go down to verse 12. For ye shall go out with joy, and be led forth with praise. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fig tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And now it shall be to the Lord for a name for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. God was, in the Old Testament, securing for himself a people. Israel, as Paul has deliberated, was never about ethnicity. It was about the individual's relation to God, secured through the work of Christ. Romans chapter 9, It is not as though the word of God has failed. For we are not descended from Israel, for not all who descend from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. So then, we live by the commandments in that Christ lived the perfect life that you and I never could. He kept every jot and tittle of the law in order that we may be justified before God by his obedience, not ours. The law is life for us because Christ did all the work necessary to make both Jews and Gentiles just before the Creator, securing for himself one people from all nations, that all would worship God with joy, like we read in Isaiah. Romans 5 <clears throat> says, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In short, if the disobedience of one man brought sin on all mankind, how much more will the obedience 
of that one perfect man bring life to mankind. Now back to the text. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That's, that's verse 5. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Verse 6, but the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or who will ascend into the abyss? Or descend into the abyss. That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. While the law was out of reach for us, Christ made us within reach. And he did this of his own accord, not any man. Who of us could have brought the Son of God down to earth? Or raised him from the dead? Who could have willed Christ to do the very things that we could not do for ourselves? Christ went to the cross willingly. Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. I mean, he didn't think equality with God as a member of the Trinity to be something to exploit or hold on to, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Acts chapter 2 tells us that Jesus was delivered up to death on the cross, according to the plan of God, according to the foreknowledge of God. He was crucified by lawless men, but it was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Christ went willingly. The cross was not an opportunistic endeavor. The redemption of God's elect was decreed before God made people. Theologians sometimes call this the covenant of redemption. And what they mean by that is that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit decreed according to no counsel but God's, but his own, to save through the cross and the shed blood of Christ as propitiation for sinners. This did not happen because Israel couldn't get their act together. The cross was always the end game. During the exodus, during the exile, during the fall, during the flood, God was ordaining to bring the Gentile nations and the Jewish nation into his covenant family. The nations will exalt the Lord. If God was able to draw praise out of Nebuchadnezzar, he will surely do it on the world stage, as he is actively in the work of doing. And how does God accomplish this? How does God bring the nations to himself? Through his word. Romans 10 verse 8. But what does it say? Because notice, he, Moses said, it does not say who will ascend to bring Christ down. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now note that Paul says the word is in our hearts and our mouths. The two are connected. His word cannot be in one and not the other. A saving faith does both. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that no one speaking by the Spirit ever says Jesus is accursed. 
It also says, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. To declare sincerely the Lordship of God is for God to have already redeemed us, for God to have moved first, like he did with Lazarus, that we were dead in the ground. And God said, live. And what we do with our mouth and our heart is merely the outworking of what God has already initiated. God moved first. He put his spirit within us. Our acclamation of such is confirmation and recognition of what God has already done. First John chapter 4 tells us that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So then, how are we justified? How is this word proven to be in us? Verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When we confess the Lordship of God, we will be saved, Jew or Gentile. When Paul says confess, we could otherwise render that Greek word as concede. And that's a word we know very well in America. We just had an election and there was a lot of talk about um, conceding and recognizing who lost and things like that. But we know this word concede. That is very much ingrained in American culture, especially now. But to concede is usually an admission of defeat. That's the way we see it. We are rebels in God's house. When we repent and believe, ultimately we are conceding that he is the one on the throne. We are acknowledging the king who reigns over us. Not the king who will reign, but the king who has always reigned over us. Psalm 148 says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. He hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. Praise the Lord from the earth, ye dragons and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and vapor, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Psalm 148 is a beautiful psalm. It's one of the last in the book of Psalms, and it is a call for all things to worship the Creator. And when we repent and believe, we are falling in line with that, with that created order, that we worship God who spoke and we were made. The God who upholds all things by the power of his word. We concede to the fact that he is God. That he is Lord, he is king, he is sovereign. Fill in the blank. That what this word says about him is true. Not only that is it true, it is the highest and most perfect truth. This is the most unshakable truth. Because his word is established in the heavens. God reigns. And he has made a way for sinful people to be saved. A way outside of our own abilities. He has provided for us a righteousness that cannot be obtained any other way. Concede to the king who reigns above. To the king who has ransomed you into his people and into his family. Pray this psalm today. Meditate on this psalm today. Psalm 148. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For he commanded and they were created. He hath also established them forever and ever. He hath made a decree which shall not pass. 
Praise the Lord from the earth, ye dragons and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and vapor, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media. If you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab, links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That is something that I've written. That is something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture. And it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of His holy transformative Word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4 4. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab. Links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section, um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That is something that I've written. That is something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture. And it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of his holy transformative word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4 4.